I want to turn now to God's Word and uh, the passage of Scripture that was shared with us earlier this morning. And uh, I've titled this message, Following Jesus in the Marketplace. And I've titled it that intentionally because, obviously, we were sent out by CBM to, to focus a large amount of our time on marketplace ministry initiatives. And I've already said to you that, you know, people say, well, what is marketplace ministry? And I go, oh, I don't know, or at least that's what I was saying. But I want to try to help unpack a little bit for you. And I understand, actually, that you as a church have done a series on faith and work, which is really awesome. I'm really excited to hear that. Uh, But for us with CBM, when we talk about marketplace ministries, if you can just think for a minute, this this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, okay, here we have the church, right? And let's just pretend there's only four walls, even though there's some others. But you have this four walled church where God's people come and we worship and we learn and we grow and we gather and right uh, and we do ministry inside of the church and we run programs and do different things and we reach our communities that way and that's awesome but we also have what's outside of these four walls and that's really what I'm calling the marketplace is is everything outside of these four walls it's the public spaces of our life so not our homes so so much but I mean in a sense our homes but but the public spaces. And so here you, you read on this slide uh, a definition of marketplace. By marketplace, I am referring to public spaces in the broadest sense possible. I'm not referring to the markets in an economic or a business sense, but to the whole world of work. It includes trades, professionals, law, government, education, industry, housework, raising children. I mean, basically, wherever people are engaged together in meaningful and productive work. Uh, so that's really what we're talking about with marketplace ministries. Oftentimes, um, our, our work as CBM and work of other mission organizations is in partnership with local churches, which this is marketplace ministries connected to local churches. But it, it's all—it's often been about uh, what happens inside the church walls. Uh, the approach that we're taking with marketplace ministry is trying to help our church partners uh, in in the Philippines to actually think about stuff that's going on outside of the church walls. And so when we talk about like the Food for Life uh, initiative, for example, that is a, a very clear example of a marketplace ministry initiative that, that is connected to the church. Uh, it's supporting pastors. It's supporting farmers that are in their congregations. It's very much a part of, of church ministry. But it's what's happening outside. It's what they do you know, sort of on the Monday to Friday of their lives. It's the marketplaces where they're engaged in. And so... Uh, I, I mentioned earlier already about my experience with business and how I wanted to, it to be different, but how I often struggled with it and how, you know, that I think if we're all honest with each other, we all have those sort of struggles with our work and we sometimes, uh, you know, think that our work doesn't really matter. It's only the stuff that we do connected to the church that matters, right? Um, you may be familiar with Timothy Keller. Uh, he's an author and pastor in, in New York, but he wrote a book a while back that was called Every Good Endeavor, and it was all about connecting your work with God's work. And he explains in this book, and I remember when I read it for the first time thinking, that's it, right? Is that for most of our society, we've somehow separated work into two categories, what we call sacred work, uh, which we would put you know, pastors and theological educators and missionaries and that kind of thing into that category. And then you have secular work, which is basically all the work that everybody else does. And we've allowed ourselves to be told that God only cares about the sacred stuff and that he isn't interested in the secular work. And that's such a false understanding 
There's such a false theology of work. God is the creator of work, and the work that we have, whether it's you know, work in our own homes, whether it's paid work outside of the home, whether it's volunteer work that we do at a community center, whatever, whatever it is, whatever our engagement is in the public spaces, God has given us that work as a way to be involved in his redemptive plan for, for creation. God has given us our work. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your work can make a difference? Now, many times people, when we talk about marketplace ministry, they immediately think, oh, so you're going overseas to the Philippines and you're going to try to get existing businesses to start Bible studies in their workplaces or prayer meetings or these types of things. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are fine things to do if that's, if that's what should be done. But that's not really what we're talking about in marketplace ministry. We're not really talking about just trying to get a whole bunch of Bible studies going on in existing workplaces. What we're actually talking about is how do we actually get people in the pews or chairs of congregations like this to understand that their work has incredible significance within the kingdom of God and that they have the incredible ability to use their work just to be examples for Christian character and Christian ethics in the workplaces or in the public sphere of life. And that when you live your life the way that Christ wants you to live your life, it's an example to people regardless of whether you even speak a word. Right? That's what we're talking about in marketplace ministry. Uh, and so we come to uh, this passage of Scripture. You know, the, Jesus begins in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We read the Sermon on the Mount, which is really the first recorded sermon of, of Christ. And in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, at the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus begins with these, these blessed are statements, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the... Right? Uh, and at the conclusion of these blessed are statements comes the passage of Scripture that we read this morning. It's already been read for, you, for us. And I, I want to read it one more time for us. Uh, Matthew five thirteen to 16. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I think that quite often we read this passage of Scripture, we hear it, you know, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, and we just go, okay, yeah, cool. Right? I'm salt. I'm like, yay. Uh, because I think that for us in our day and age, light and salt are pretty common. Right? Would you agree with that? I mean, we, we have light pretty well anywhere we want it. Right? We, we come into a building like this and we just flip a switch and boop, it lights up. Right? We go outside at nighttime and walk down the streets and there's street lights lighting our path. Right? Uh, if we're somewhere where there is no light, we take out our phone and we go, oh, turn on a flashlight, right? And, uh, I mean, light is just so common for us. And salt is no different. Uh, salt is pretty well in everything that we eat now. If you buy anything that's packaged or that type of stuff, salt is just sort of in there and we don't even realize it. Salt is, is so common. We use it that, you know, when it snows and it's cold and slushy, we throw it on our roads to melt away the ice or on our doorsteps, right, so that we don't slip and fall. And 
Uh, salt is, is just easy to get. We go to the supermarket, we go to the convenience store, it doesn't really matter, there's bags of salt, and we can just buy it and no problem. Salt and light are very, very common for us, very easy to obtain. But for us to understand this passage properly, we have to really put ourselves in the context of when Jesus is talking. And, and Jesus, when he says to his, to his listeners here, you are the salt and you are the light, he didn't just choose those two examples sort of like on a whim, like, oh, yeah, you're this, you're that. He, he knew what he was talking about. He knew the significance and what it meant for the listeners that they were salt and they were light. Like the, he, he understood the importance and the significance of what it was he was saying. So he says you're salt and he says you're light, right? Well, for that, I mean, he's, he's making a comparison here, right? If believers, if, if Christ's followers are light, what's the opposite of light? Darkness. So if, if we're to be the light as his followers, it must mean that we're in a dark place, that our society is a, is a dark place, right? Do you believe that? Now, likewise, he says that we're salt. What, does anybody know what salt was primarily used for in Jesus' day? Preservative. Yeah preserving meat and fish and those types of things. So Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth. You're the preservative. So what's, what's the comparison that he's making here if we're thinking about society on our earth? Really rot, that, that, that our society is decaying. It's rotting before us, right? This is the comparison. You're the salt and the light. You're in a dark and a decaying place. I mean, that's pretty significant, Right? Pretty significant. The second thing here that we need to understand about what Jesus is saying by choosing salt and light is that salt and light are both active ingredients or active things, right? Like you can't turn on light and nothing happen, right? I mean, unless the power is out. But I mean, if you light a match, light happens, right? It just, it, it, it lights and darkness dispels and it's active. If you take salt and you shake it onto meat, and you rub it in, it, it, it's going to do its thing, right? If, the other thing that salt is used for in those days and today is flavoring, right? I mean, if you put salt on something, it makes a difference. These are active things. These are not idle things that aren't meant to do anything. They're, they're active and should make a difference. And so with that in mind, the third thing that I just want to stress here with what Jesus is saying uh, is that if Jesus is saying to us, you're salt and you're light, and these are active things, then Jesus must actually believe that we as his followers can make a difference in this world. Am I right? Jesus actually believes that you and I can make a difference in this world. Right. I think that's pretty cool. Jesus believes in us. He believes that we have a role to play in society. I want to share with you a quote from a guy named Christopher Wright. Christopher Wright is a, uh, he's a theologian, a missiologist, he's a professor, he's very involved in the Luzon uh, mission movement. Uh, and there should be a slide for this, please. Uh, so here's what Christopher Wright says about this passage. He says, if a piece of meat goes rotten, it is of no use blaming the meat. That's what happens when the bacteria do their natural work. The question to ask is, where was the salt? If a house gets dark at night, it's no use blaming the house. 
that's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where's the light? Now he goes on to say, and this is where it should hit us. If society becomes more corrupt and dark, it's no use blaming society. That's what fallen human nature does, left unchecked and unchallenged. The question to ask is, where are the Christians? Where are the saints who will actually live as saints? God's different people in the marketplace. Kind of hits you, doesn't it? I think oftentimes we like to do that. We like to sort of stay in our little bubble and say, oh, the world is just, look at all this stuff is happening. It's just becoming worse. It's more evil. It's dark. It's, oh, right? It's like we're blaming the society for just becoming that way. But Christopher Wright points it out. It's no use blaming society. That's what happens naturally because of our fallen nature. But where are the Christians? Where are the Christ followers who are able to make a difference, who are able to be salt and light in our society through our places of work? Again, just to drive home the significance of what Jesus is saying about salt and light. Uh, did you know, so here's some interesting things about salt. So we've already said salt can be used as preservative. So that's common. That was done in those days. It's still done today by some people. Uh, it can be used for flavoring. We've said that. Salt is, is essential to our bodies, right? Now, I love uh, potato chips, okay? And there's a lot of flavors of potato chips here in Canada that aren't in the Philippines. And so when we got home here on Wednesday and we went to the grocery store for the first time and we got to the chip pile, all of us were like, wow, there's ketchup chips, there's dill pickle chips. And, and so we bought like four bags of big chips and, you know, our guilty pleasures and we ate lots of salty stuff, right? Uh, you know, it's okay once in a while, right? But it's not good too much. Too much salt is bad for our bodies and too little salt is bad for our bodies. Something else I didn't know about salt is that in aviation fuel, they actually add salt to aviation fluid because salt absor uh, absorbs moisture and water. And you don't want to have any of moisture and water in your aviation fluid because, or fuel because I'm thinking that would be bad for the plane and the jets and all that. So they use salt to, to absorb it. And salt is actually used in lots of uh, different things like that for absorbing moisture. Uh, did you know that 75% of the salt that we consume, we don't even realize? We're not making a conscious choice to consume it because it's just hidden in our food, like those potato chips. But, ooh, it tastes so good. 75% of the salt we consume. The other interesting thing, I thought this one was really, really interesting. We often hear this expression, take, oh, take that with a grain of salt or take that person with a grain of salt, right? And we refer to that about maybe an offensive comment or something that's spoken that's not very, oh, don't, don't just take that with a grain of salt. Well, that actually comes from the ancient Roman era where they actually had a recipe that was to protect them against poisons, about being poisoned. And so they would uh, take two dried walnuts, two figs, 20 leaves of rue, uh, rue, and pound them together. And then they add a grain of salt. And they believed that if they consumed this each morning, that it would protect them from any poison that might be put into their body unknowingly to them. And so the expression, take that with a grain of salt so that they don't get poisoned, was born. Now, the last thing that I think is really interesting is that uh, the word salary that we talk about today, you know, we get our salary, it's what we earn for our work, uh, actually has its roots in the same, same root word as salt. And it's believed that it's because uh, the Roman soldiers 
were actually the money that they were paid for being soldiers was used for buying salt. Because salt was so valuable and so rare in those days that if you didn't have it, you couldn't uh, preserve your food. And if you couldn't preserve your food, it would go bad. And if it went bad, you couldn't eat it. And if you couldn't eat it, you'd get not well. And if you got not well, then you'd probably die, right? So salt was like essential. And so salary comes out of that. Jesus knew these things. And I'm only just scratching the surface. Salt is is tremendously important uh, in so many ways. Light is also equally uh, important. It's a valuable commodity, right? I mean, I've said already, we kind of take it for granted because we flip the switch. But if the power goes out for any longer than an hour, what happens? We all get pretty upset, right? Like, where's the lights? We need the lights. But it's extremely valuable. This uh, sunlight is very powerful, right? And uh, sunlight actually has the ability to penetrate the ocean 80 meters deep. So if you're a snorkeler, and not a snorkeler, scuba diver, if you're a snorkeler, that's, yeah, you don't want to go that deep. Uh, if you're a scuba diver and you're down like 75, 80 meters, sunlight, the rays, can actually reach that depth. I've never been that deep. I'd be scared to death too. Uh, I'm not that strong of a swimmer. But that's pretty amazing. Light travels at a speed of 300,000 kilometers per second. That's fast. The sunlight that we see when we look outside actually left the sun 10 minutes before we actually are able to see it. Um, Light energy uh, is always moving, and therefore it can't be stored. However, did you know the Easy Bake Oven? My daughter used to have one of these little Easy Bake, and she was always Did you know that an Easy Bake Oven using a 100-watt light bulb can create a temperature of 325 degrees Fahrenheit? Pretty impressive, eh? It has no mass, but it has tremendous momentum. Uh, and light, nothing travels faster than light, not even sound. Light is the fastest traveling thing that we know of. So what does all this mean for us, that we're to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. Jesus obviously meant something by it, right? He wasn't just saying it sort of flippantly like, oh, you're salt and you're light, you know, go do whatever you want. Jesus meant something by it. And just by scratching the surface about the significance and and the the power and and the the amazing thing about salt and light, we realize that it's it's powerful, it's active, it it has the ability to really change uh, our environment around us. Right? I've already said that salt and light are, are these active things, but what, what happens if you have a nice piece of meat and you have a salt shaker and you set it beside it? Does that make a difference? You have to use it. So, it, it, you know, it's great for us to be together as God's people here on Sunday mornings, but it's kind of like being salt in a salt shaker, right? When, when, when Jesus says that you're to be the salt of the earth, he's saying, get out of the salt shaker. Go be spread out into society. The best way to do that is through our workplaces and through our engagement in the marketplaces. There's a a quote I want to share with you just as I start to wrap up. It's Dion uh, Forster and Johann Ostenbrink. They wrote an article I read a while back. It was called, Where is the Church on Monday? And really just looking at this whole idea of, you know, we're God's people gathered here on Sunday morning, but, but where are we on Monday morning when we should be scattered among society? 
They say this, if, church, if Christians were inspired and equipped to understand the potential that their presence, their talents, their abilities could make towards achieving the aims of God's kingdom and society in the marketplace, we could see a new missional thrust emerging within the church. You've probably heard this before, but stats say that the average Christian person spends about 86,000 hours of their lifetime engaged in work-related activities, whether that's paid work or domestic work or whatever. But 86,000 hours, you've probably heard that. The same person, they say, spends about an average of 4,000 hours in, engaged in church-related activities. There's quite a big difference there, right? 86,000 versus 4,000. Uh, and, and so right away, when we see this difference in, in the amount of hours, and we hear Jesus' words about being salt and light in the world, uh, I don't know about you, but I see the 86,000 hours as a tremendous opportunity to be salt and light. Uh, however, quite oftentimes, our, our focus as followers of Christ are more on the 4,000 hours inside the church than they are on the 86,000 hours outside of the church. Uh, I, again, I don't know about you guys, but I find it pretty easy to be a follower of Jesus in here. Does anybody agree with that? You know, Inside the church, is it easy? Easier, maybe. Uh, it's tough out there, right? It's tough. It is a dark world. It's a decaying world. But Jesus didn't ask us to be salt and light inside the church. He asked us to be salt and light out there. That others may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. It's not for our own glory. It's not for our own good, the things that we do, right? but it's to bring glory to God the Father and to point people to him. So for our work in the Philippines, as we're trying to engage people in the marketplaces, you know, to, to trying to engage God's people in his congregation, but then to send them out. So in the same way that your team is being sent to the Philippines, you know, we're trying to engage churches to send out marketplace missionaries or marketplace ministers just around the communities of Capiste province in the Philippines in the same way that when your church does a, a series on faith and work, they're talking about sending you out as marketplace ministers to wherever it is that you're engaged with uh, on Monday morning or Wednesday afternoon or Friday, you know, at 3 o'clock when you wish you could go home early but your boss won't let you, you know. Uh, and, and really, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, really it's, it's, it's about us thinking about how do we take our faith and how do we engage our faith and our work in a way that just, you know, is, is positive and is, uh, is not negative? It, you know, I think oftentimes we get negative as Christians when we are engaged in work and stuff like that, and we don't like it maybe. Or oftentimes we think that our work has to be Christian work for it to matter. Uh, but, but, but clearly, Jesus... Is telling us that all activities, all work matters. Uh, I mean, unless it's like immoral and all that type of thing. But but normal work 
is good work. It's a way for us to participate in God's redemptive plan for society. God is making all things new. Uh, Our work has a piece to play in that. Do you believe that this morning?